it's the show the establishment warned you about. Good morning. Welcome to the Dr. Tommy Show. Coming to you live from Wesley Chapel, Florida. I'm Dr. Tommy McElroy, America's free market doctor. And we are pleased to join you again for another, thank you, another fun-filled morning of headlines, news updates, discussion, and all so much more. Tracy, how are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful. Now that, I've had, now that I've had three cups of coffee. Yes. Maybe abs- four. With our new fancy uh, coffee maker that doesn't have a carafe, you just go and push the button and more and more coffee comes out. Yes, it just keeps flowing. I love it. It's empty now, though. It is. How many cups did you make this morning? I'm not sure. About 12 altogether. <laughs> 12? Well, I've only had four. Yeah. I never had a patient that had some. Yes, so, that's true. He did have one cup. If you haven't heard the good news about Electronic medical records, the good news is if you're a concierge medicine or direct primary care doctor, you do not have to use one that is made for insurance-based medicine. You can use one that's made for you, and that's called Atlas MD. And Atlas MD is free for you to try at AskDrTommy.com. Click on Atlas MD special offer, and you can use Atlas MD for free for 60 days. And I think the best thing that I like about Atlas MD, the more I think about it, besides the EMR, besides the actual charting part, is the billing not the billing of insurance companies, but the, the, the credit card processing. Oh, I love it because we have a subscription for each patient. We have the date set and it just automatically happens. It just magically does Think it. Think about how us. much money we save. I mean, mm-hmm. you used to have to pay for a, um, what was it? A statement fee. You'd have to pay for PCI compliance fee. You have to pay for all these different random. Yes, the rent for the machine. Yeah, the machine, because they, they say, well, you can buy the machine or you can rent it. And if you buy the machine, it's $300 or you can rent it for 7 or $12. And it's just chipping away, chipping away. And Atlas MD, all you have to do is you sign up for Atlas MD mm-hmm. within maybe maybe five minutes it takes to get signed up and have everything up. You upload your logo. And then before you know it, you are up and running and you can process payments right away. All you have to do is put in the routing number for your bank. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the simplest thing you could ever possibly imagine. And it's brought to you by the good folks at Atlas and D, Josh Umber and Dr. Nanamaker and all of his uh, associates. Mm-hmm. And it's such a beautiful thing. Yes. Um, this morning, I, uh, you know, I uh, was speaking to a non-member. She was ordering Mick. Mm-hmm. And her, so I put her credit card information in. And when she's ready to order again, it will be saved. Mm-hmm. It'll be there and just go in and a couple clicks and It'd be a done deal. Seriously, if you're a membership medicine doctor out there, a DPC or concierge medicine, or even a, a doctor who does just doesn't use insurance, you, you bill directly. We had a, a neurologist, local neurologist come in here recently who is a mobile mm-hmm. um, mobile neurologist here in town. And she, um, I was talking to her about Atlas MD because for her, it would make perfect sense. Mm-hmm. And if you want to text message your patients or do all these other things, and then for the patients, um, it would behoove you if your doctor used Atlas MD, I think, because if you're a membership medicine doctor, because then they can, you can text with them and all within the uh, EMR. And then if you send something like a rash or like one of our patients over the weekend sent a picture of his uh, skin that wasn't getting better. So he sent me a picture and I have the previous picture in there. So mm-hmm. it's all in his, it's all in his chart mm-hmm. and it makes it effortless the way to practice membership medicine. You know, with um, when we um, were, were doing merchant solutions in the past, um, you know, there were certain credit cards we were not able to take. Well, we didn't take them because we chose not to, like American because Express. Because it cost so much money. Because it was much more expensive. Yeah. So with um, with Atlas MD, we can accept them all. We get we get everything. All of our all of our cards are accepted. I think even maybe ones that 
aren't even uh, like Diners Club, maybe. I don't know. Either well, way. I just took a Discover this morning, and uh, she asked me if you take Discover, and I said, you know what? I think so, but I'm not even sure. I not don't have too many patients pay with a Discover, but I said, let me go ahead and try to process it, and sure enough, it was fine. So there's not a credit. We take MasterCard, Visa, uh, American, American Express. Express, Discover. Yep. Yeah, and, so it's great. And we don't see anything other than they send us our payment, Mm-hmm. And then they send us a, a, a it's actually a statement. It's online, which is the smart thing to do nowadays. You don't have to have a statement fee that mm-hmm. charges you to send you a statement in the mail. So we get ours are online, and then we just basically um, we are able to uh, just look at it, and the fee is less than two percent. I mean, less than three percent. It's like two point one percent. Yes, and we are charged. So for our ACH um, payments, we are charged one quarter. Yep, we're charged uh, a quarter, a quarter, one tiny little quarter for ACH. So the bank draft, mm-hmm. one quarter, which you can't. <laughs> Is that awesome? Anyway, Atlas MD, try it out, and uh, tell them Doctor Tommy sent you and get an extra month free for. Um, for saying that and uh today uh, october is the uh, breast care awareness month i think right breast cancer awareness month yes so breast cancer awareness month and you want to talk about mammograms yes so mammograms um for the month of october at tower and rose they're running specials so at tower that's here in town in tampa yes um they have uh screening mammograms for fifty dollars and then at rose radiology which is just a, a few miles from us here in wesley chapel they have them for $60. And that's without insurance. That is without insurance. Now, for those of you who have insurance, most of the time that's um, a, a free screening mammogram is included um, it's part once of your a year. $800 a month premium. You get <laughs> yeah. a free mammogram. They like to say year. free mammogram. Anyway, if you don't have insurance, um, yeah, $50 and $60. Yeah, and that's for diagnostic. That's not for diagnostic. That's for screening mammograms only. Right. But it is very affordable and, and it is something that. All women should have, uh, according to uh, the guidelines, at least by age 40, and sometimes earlier. I usually tell patients if their parent, I'm sorry, if they had a first-degree relative who had breast cancer, man or woman, not the man or woman. I tell a female, if you had a first-degree relative, either a man or a woman first-degree relative with breast cancer, uh, you should have your screening mammogram done 10 years prior to when they had the detection. So if you're aunt or i'm sorry not your aunt but your mother had a um, breast cancer at age 40 then you should have yours done at 30. now do you know what the risks are if you have a great aunt Mm-mm. that i just wonder i mean I, it's going to be less i'm sure yeah i think it's 10 percent of cancers are heritable so it's not a huge percentage that means 90 percent of breast cancers that arise in women are not genetically predisposed there's no genetic predisposition uh, but Either way, there is some element of hereditariness or heritability in them. Okay. So oh, for yeah. uh, for all of you in the Tampa area, please go and get your mammograms or call your doctor and at least discuss it. Some women don't get mammograms. Uh, you can also get a breast MRI, which is a more um, detailed look, and certainly insurance wouldn't pay for a screening MRI. Mm-hmm. But with free market medicine, you could probably get a screening MRI, or not a screening MRI. You could get an MRI of your breast done probably relatively cheaply. If I remember, if I think it's it. about three hundred dollars so, for um, an MRI of the breasts. So for mm-hmm. half of what you pay, probably in your premium for a monthly that you don't use your insurance for, you could get a MRI of your breast if if you decide that's what you want. But you should talk with your doctor. A big controversy about 
screening test is when more people get tested and they get false positives and then they get tested and biopsied and it causes trauma and pain. So we shouldn't even allow them to have that option because uh, we're smart and we shouldn't even allow them to have the option. Well, that's wrong headed. I think you should have the option to be discuss- have it discussed with you with your doctor mm-hmm. in a physical or any other time mm-hmm. and then say, hey, I'm, I want to do that or no, you know what? I don't want to do that. We have patients that don't want to get mammograms every year because they don't want the stress of it. Mm-hmm. That's their business. But. Yes, I did. When I when I sent out an email, I, I um about the mammograms at Rosen Radio uh, Rosen uh, Tower. I did have one patient reply and said, you know, I don't get mammograms every year. Yeah, and th- that's you know up to her. But it should be a, you should be allowed to even just discuss it with your your doctor and decide for yourself. I choose to do them every year myself. So if you're not in Tampa and you want to find, just call your local radiology clinic. And if you, if you don't have insurance and ask them if they have any specials or um, get it through your insurance. Uh, children's, uh, we had an article that you couldn't find, but you were, you were told me about it. I want to talk about it, but we couldn't find it. It's about how children at a young age are very impressionable what their parents say or older people, I guess. Yes, it was, yeah, I cannot, could not find that article anywhere, but it basically was um, an article about adults. Um, they were referring back to comments that their parents had made to them when they were young children as young as six and how those words are still lingering in their minds today. And anyway, uh, it just made me think of something recently that happened with Kaylee yeah. and um, with my seven-year-old. So it made me think, uh, I hope that's not something she's going to remember for the rest of her life. Well, the, that's what, you know, you saw that you were telling me about, you went to, where was it? Goodwill or Salvation Army to look for that costume for yes. Kaylee. Goodwill, and then yes. there was this uh, woman berating her child who was younger than Kaylee. Mm-hmm. Yes, she was probably five. Yes. and Cussing Kaylee, at her. Cussing at her. She was beating beating her, basically slapping her a lot over and over and uh, raising her voice at her. It was awful. It was terrible. And um, no, it didn't just end. I mean, we walked by this lady. She was in the parking lot doing this to her little five-year-old and i felt gosh how terrible for that little girl plus she has to be so embarrassed because here kaylee and i are walking by and we're seeing mm-hmm. this woman yeah. berate her daughter and it didn't end there then the daughter and the mother start walking into the store and the mother is still yelling at her at the top of her lungs mm-hmm. and um yeah and kaylee did mention that woman at dinner that night yeah so that doesn't impress upon them and then kaylee said Oh, I can't remember exactly what she, she said. She said, if that was you, I would sneak away at night. If I had a mommy like that, I would sneak away at night. Yeah. Yes. It's disgusting behavior. Unfortunately, it it's not uncommon. Today's, uh, really, I think, more and more so de- degrading by the day society that we have, our culture. Mm-hmm. Our general culture is just so polluted. It is. I thought, my goodness, that woman, she does not mind insulting her child in public. I wonder what that little girl goes through at home. And then I also was thinking too, um, which I had mentioned to you, that mother, um, uh, you know, it just didn't seem like there was any love or compassion for this child. And um, it made me think, gosh, that mother, what does she know? She must not remember what it was like when she first gave birth to that child. Well, you and, and the I love both, and affection that she must have had at that time. You and I have both been involved though in training. At least I was when I was resident and seeing mothers give birth and then you... You know, I had to deliver 30 children for my um, residency training. And sometimes you deliver a baby, whether it be in med school or training, and you 
give it to the mom and they just act like you gave them a yes. loaf of bread or something. I know. When I worked in Early Head Start, I worked with expectant mothers and I would meet them at the hospital. Um, they were getting ready to deliver. Most always, you know, four, five, their sixth child. It was almost like they had no feelings even during the birth. They were not, it was like they had no pain. There was no feelings. And then once they did, once they delivered and the baby was handed to them, there was still, mm -hmm. they were emotionless. You know, there was, their face was just blank. There was no, I don't know how to explain it, but it was just like, yes, like you're right. They just gave them a bag, uh, a bag of bread or something. Well, we had, you know, mothers too, that would deliver when I was in training who were on drugs. So they would screen them and child would come back on cocaine or methadone or opioids or whatever. Yeah, some of the mothers that I dealt with, um, their babies would test positive for marijuana, but nothing was ever done about that because it's just marijuana. Yeah. And and I, you know, I'm not against marijuana, but when you're pregnant, you know, you stay away from smoking cigarettes, smoking marijuana, you stay away from drinking. When you're pregnant, you, you can't even take certain vitamins, much less smoke drugs. Right, but they don't. Um, they didn't make a big deal out of it. The babies went right home with mom. Yeah. So it's cold and allergy season. The other thing that I wanted to talk about was difference between a cold and allergies because they both have very similar presentations and so when i think of a cold i think of a couple of days some runny nose maybe a fever low-grade fever and body aches and then that's it so um with a cold you can have a fever yeah okay uh, not a high fever but mm -hmm. like 100 if you got 104 it's likely not a cold right usually it's going to be something that yeah, if you have well, cold symptoms. Well, it could be a virus still, I guess. It could be. With, you know, I see it more in children. Mm -hmm. Children, I see, run a, a fever with a, a stomach virus even that's higher. Mm -hmm. But children in general can run higher temperatures, in my experience, than adults more routinely. But yeah, so children, the, the they may run a higher temperature with a cold. But if you're an adult and you have a fever that's 104 plus runny nose and headache, you may have the flu. Right. And then for allergies, what do you see? Oh the, well, headache most of the time right so here right in the here. right here in the front, mm -hmm. and um, some congestion. Um, most people complain of postnasal drainage, which then of course can lead to nausea. Right, um, that happens quite often, and the gagging, you know, yeah. from the postnasal drainage. Yeah, the mainstay of treatment of colds is antihistamine. Mm -hmm. Antihistamine sometimes puffiness around the eyes. I'm sorry, mainstay of allergies is antihistamine. Cold too sometimes. Cold, mm -hmm. you know, antihistamine will help, but allergies are antihistamine. So Zyrtec, Allegra, Claritin are all what they call second generation antihistamines that are supposed to be non drowsy. <laughs> yeah. However, for you, they make you drowsy. If I took one right now, it would knock me out in probably 15 minutes. Now, if you want to be drowsy, though, take Chlortrimeton or Benadryl at night. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I was taking um, Zyrtec at night, but I, I stopped it for now. But it would, it would knock me out. And Kaylee. She yes. will. Um, she had Allegra before going to school yesterday, given um, by her father, and she said that it made her very sleepy, even mm -hmm. though it said non-drowsy. So it can cause you to be. It can cause uh, drowsiness, even though it says not drowsy. The not 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 drowsy formula. Yeah. The other thing though is um, you can get a sore throat with allergies too, if it's from drainage. Yes. But if you have a sore throat and you don't think it's from drainage, just red sore throat, that could be a cold. Mm -hmm. And then when then then if you have. Uh, prolonged symptoms of headache, fever, then you may have a sinus infection. Mm -hmm. But so many people run to the doctor and get antibiotics for common cold or allergies. And all that does is make your body weaker to fight off real disease. Mm -hmm. And it also makes your body uh, have bacteria in it that are immune to 
common antibiotics, mm-hmm. just like those fleas that we had are immune to the uh, yes. advantage too. So we had to switch to a different mm-hmm. flea medicine. Mm-hmm. Now I did read- not us. We didn't have fleas. Dog had fleas. <laughs> you had fleas. I had fleas. <laughs> now I did read a, about a research study that was done um, for patients with um, sinus infection. And half were treated with antibiotics, yeah. and half were treated with antihistamines, and you know everyone um, resolved with their symptoms at the same time. Yeah, sinus infection is hard to treat. Mm-hmm. If you think about a sinus infection, really, it's the, the sinuses are here, they're here, they're behind your eyes, and so a sinus infection is the cavity. So if you have an infection in the cavity, it's like trying to treat an abscess, and the best way to treat an abscess is to incise it and let out the the if it's if it's soft, you can let out the, the the infection. But if you're trying to treat a sinus infection, you're trying to penetrate deep into all that. Sometimes it's very hard to do. That's why a lot of times it doesn't. Antibiotics don't even help. Yeah. Well, an ENT can go in and wash out. Yeah, they can. Uh, you know the sinus cavity. Mm-hmm. But um, I mean, I've had sinuses. You know, hurt me right through here. What the youth youthmoid sinuses? Yeah. Oh gosh, it's painful. So that's something. Allergies and cold season. Just make sure you don't. Uh, um, let it go too far because if you do have a sinus infection that goes on too long, it can cause a brain problem, but that's very rare. But if you do have a cold, try antihistamines first. And they're or, over I'm the sorry, ca- if allergies, try antihistamine first. Yeah. And same for a cold. The best thing for a cold, though, is rest. Yeah. And uh, zinc lozenges, I think, help. Mm-hmm. And then maybe any type of, you know, those concoctions of. Yeah, and, all, and uh, antihistamines are over the counter too, so they're mm-hmm. easy to get to. You could, uh, you know, also um, include Singular, which is free at Publix. Mm-hmm. Wanted to read over some of these Cleveland Clinic IM daily brief. So this is stuff I get in the email, and so this is leading the news. Hatch Brady announced ACA plans. So last week, or the week before, Donald Trump signed an executive order that basically said that we are going to uh, allow more competition across state lines for insurance and also allow more people to join association plans. And in conjunction with that, not including an executive order, but in conjunction with that, or maybe it wasn't an executive order, he said he's going to stop payments to the insurers, these so-called uh, subsidies that were paid to insurers to make them whole, basically, because of losses they took on the ACA market plans. So back to the ACA, they, they, they made people sign up for the ACA or you get a penalty. And then the idea was a bunch of healthy people would sign up, subsidize the unhealthy people, and away we go. Well, what happened was they made the ACA plans, they made these penalties, and then they said, all right, you better sign up or you're going to get fined. And a lot of people said, well, the hell with you. I'm not going to sign up. I'll take the fine. It's cheaper. Mm-hmm. So they did. And so a lot of these insurance companies lost money. Well, they were getting paid too. Um, subsidies to basically make it make up the difference. And what happened was uh, Donald Trump basically said, we're going to put an end to these subsidies in 60 days. I think it was 60 days. And so what happened was uh, now Senator Orrin Hatch, chairman of the Senate Finance Committee and Representative Kevin Brady, chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee, announced they have, quote, reached a deal to fund, quote, in quotes, ACA, quote, insurer payments in exchange for delaying enforcement of the law's individual and employer mandates. So basically, very quickly now, uh, Orrin Hatch and Kevin Brady and the rest of, uh, I guess, the Republicans have moved to preserve these payments in law because before they were being paid, but there was no law that said they, there was no appropriation for it. Okay. And so now they're, they're we're going to make an appropriation for that. And they're going to also delay enforcement of the so-called individual and employer mandates. 
until 2021. Okay. And also I was under the impression that we were not going to get fined. People were not going to get fined if you did not carry no. health insurance. But now that is not the case. Well, there was never a law change that said that, but there was some assumption that the Trump administration would not enforce that penalty. And now then we saw I saw another headline that mm-hmm. said the directive from the IRS is that they will not process a claim unless you have answered that question that says, have you had insurance? Mm-hmm. So. The, what do uh, they do with that money the that they abscess- collected over all you know the last two years from people that don't have insurance? Well, all the money that's sent to Washington. If you have you ever fried an egg and um, you were going to see if the water if the pan was hot enough and you drop a drop of water on the on the pan, yes, and it's gone like that. That's what happens to tax money. <laughs> seriously, that is sent to Washington D.C. Because the truth of the matter is, if you look at Washington D.C. You know, if you say, well, the Congress is smart, right? These are the people that are smart. They're the ones that make all the rules from how much water can go through your toilet to if you should have insurance or not. And if you do have insurance, what should be in it? They're so smart that they actually borrow 40 cents on every dollar that's spent. So imagine if you and I went out and everybody or your friend or your neighbors or your business that you work for borrowed to operate 40 cents on every dollar. So that's how smart our Congress yeah, is. It, does, it wouldn't make sense, huh? It wouldn't make sense. You can go out of business. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the government doesn't go out of business. So um, anyway, the point of it is what happened to that money? It's gone. I mean, every dollar that goes to Washington is evaporated immediately. It's like it's like it'd be like uh, throwing a marshmallow into a furnace that's meant to melt iron. It is gone before it even even sm- you can smell it. Mm-hmm. It's gone. So that money's gone. But the real thing is, is that so that money's gone, right? It's really not meant to get the money. The money, the reason for the fine is to scare you. Mm-hmm. So this is the society we live and in. And that's exactly what it's done. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, For some people. Me. For a lot of people, though. When I discuss with them, you know, they're fine. I know it's a percent, what, 2% of your income or 750 maybe or 650. It always changes. Yeah. So I'll tell them, you know, so I they. I think it goes they, up every year. So they feel scared. You know, they need to, they need to take, you know, insurance yeah. and pay five, six hundred dollars a month. And I tell them, like, think about it. How what's your annual income? So you have to you know, you have to weigh that out and see if you're spending seven thousand dollars a year on insurance that you might or might not use versus a seven hundred dollar penalty. Yeah. Well people, you know, it's like that thing we read that article a couple of weeks ago. The lady's like, we try to be good citizens or something. Yeah. And their idea of being a good citizen is to pay the is to do what is called I mean, she wanted to get under, she wanted to, they wanted to get their family under $60,000 a year so they wouldn't have to pay the fine. And they defined that as being, or no, so they could get the subsidy. So they can get the subsidy, yeah. So that's their idea of being a good citizen. Look how perverted our culture has become to where we accept, not only do we accept, we demand. Mm-hmm. We demand this because these people didn't just move to Washington and just set up offices and start passing laws. They were voted in and mm-hmm. kept in office by promoting these ideas. So we have put in Congress a group of legislators and uh, bureaucrats who work in the executive branch who see it as their duty to punish individuals for not buying the appropriate insurance that they themselves designed for the individuals and that is now so expensive they can't afford to buy it. Mm-hmm. So what are you supposed to do? Take out a loan to buy insurance so you don't get fined by the government? Yeah. I mean, this is where we and, and you say, well, Congress is to blame. D.C. is to blame. No, you're to blame. 
you're to blame. If you are a citizen out there and you either voted for this or you support it or you don't have righteous indignation about it, you're well, to blame. I'm not saying that, you know, you should feel that you'd meant to do this, but this the reality well, this is, is, is in we deserve Congress. the Congress that we elect and we elect these people. I didn't well, elect true. them. But I mean this is the world we live in where Well, how can we control though with the insurance part? I mean, what can we do? Us as doctors? As people, individuals, humans. I mean, I think I think if if people were become just a little bit more aware of the reality of how Washington works. It's not just take insurance out of the side. Just look at the way Washington works. Washington works by uh, a group of individuals controlling a group of senators and rep representatives and basically paying them to do certain things. If more people were just aware of that small thing, uh, then I think there would be more indignation about the laws that they pass. Because they'd say, look, you didn't pass that law for me. You're my representative. You pass that law because someone paid you. The other thing that I think is important for people to know, and this is my belief, is I believe that the greatest threat to liberty today, economic, pure liberty in general to the individual, is the unfounded belief in the competence of the federal government with the simultaneous belief of the incompetence of the individual. So there are people out there who believe that not only is the government omnipotent, for, for lack of a better word, but not only are they omnipotent, but you yourself as an individual need them. You, we collectively as individuals need Washington to tell us what to do. And I think if, if, if that was not the case, if, if the majority of the people were aware of the abuses of Congress and their power and how they've basically taken over, I think the government spending now is 40% of GDP. I was watching something on Milton Friedman the other day. He said that when he was a, a third, 1934, when he was 18 years old, I believe he was 18. He said that uh, the government spending was one tenth. Federal government spending was one tenth of what it is today, and all of that money is just money that's taken out of the private economy mm -hmm. and put into the government and used often, oftentimes for not only wasteful spending but counterproductive spending. So there's someone who was paid to write a law to make you get fined. That's counterproductive. <laughs> no, that's counterproductive. Imagine how. What are imagine they talk about the Dow's record highs. Imagine what the Dow would be if, mm -hmm. if the people in government who do non-productive work were engaged in productive activity. What is productive activity? I don't know. Whatever. Doctors, uh, uh, working in retail stores, uh, working in nonprofits, anything, anything that's not either non-productive or destructive. Imagine if they were uh, working in productive activity. Our Dow would be 50,000. Our GDP would be 50, million, 50 trillion. It's amazing how much productivity exists in the uh, freedom of Americans. With 40% of our economy taken by the government or absorbed by the government, we still lead the world in producing new technologies, producing new services. I was reading something about the healthcare. You know, we can treat in the United States, we are the, the, the place that will treat any disease that you have. Mm -hmm. If there is any disease in the world that exists, you can come to the United States and get that. Yes, that's right. There's a lot of people come from out of the country over to the United States for treatment because that's not available in their country. You know, when you were talking about the government and spending and how um, we paid someone to sit and decide on what they're going to fine us, mm -hmm. it reminds me of my home that I have in Zephyr Hills with, the, with the HOA. You know, I never really wanted to buy that home. 
But anyway, I ended up with it. And, you know, I think about the fact that I, so I have an HOA and I have a quarterly payment that's due. And so I pay an HOA fee to a management company that tells me how to keep my house, how to keep my lawn, which flowers I can grow. I have to get permission if I want to plant Mm -hmm. any type of flowers. I have to get permission if I want it to put up a wood fence or PVC fence. So I pay these people to tell me what to do. And that's crazy. Well, they say, well, why do I do this? Well, they say, well, that way you have a great neighborhood, right? They say that, that yes, because I will have now a, your neighbors a clean, will do everything you're supposed to do. But that that is not the case. So next to my home is, um, you know, a family. There's uh, uh, probably 15 people living in this home. They are. They play basketball on the street and block traffic. They have curtains up as many blinds. Um, they are destructive. Their yard looks terrible. Um, they are renters. The owner lives in California, so he could care less what happens, what goes on. And uh, um, it, that so that's not the case. They're they're not watching out for me. But if you like look, they claim, if you look at that, that's a perfect analogy to uh, what what there's a common fallacy of government is that the intent is that everyone have a nice manicured lawn. You Mm -hmm. pay this nominal fee. Mm -hmm. All these nice things happen. These letters get generated only to people who deserve it. And then everything happens well. But the outcome is not that. The outcome is the opposite. So you have... You know, you're you had the how many letters did they send you about your three par- three driveway? letters about my driveway? Even after though you cleaned it and sent them more pictures my renters, to show that it was clean. Yes, my renters cleaned it within a matter of days after receiving the first letter. I mailed them picture. I emailed them pictures, which they said was what they said they never received it. Okay, even though I had my um, name changed on my paperwork with the management company, and they somehow received it because mm-hmm. I did make a change to. Um, my name, but they never received the pictures. Right. So another letter came to me, a second letter. And then again, I, you know, said, you know, this was taken care of. And then I received a third letter. Um, so that, that also, so they sent me three letters, you know, that costs yeah. me and the neighborhood, all 150 houses in the neighborhood. It costs us money every time they submit a letter that to an owner. their existence. Yeah, so by sending letters, they say, look, when next time their contract comes up to say, look, you're HOA management company. What do you do? Well, look how many letters we sent. Look at the citizens of this community had so many citations. We we sent them 200 letters. Mm-hmm. We're doing a lot of work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's that's kind of the way saying now, the government works. Yeah. So and then um, the HOA manager, um, he claims he finally admitted that, you know, he drove by and seen my uh, driveway. It must have been wet. Um, which looked dirty to him. Now, you would think he would know better. That was his, yeah. You think that'd be like me saying, well, you know, I saw you for a, uh, I saw you for a rash, but I thought it was MRSA, (laughs) you know? Well, that's my job to know the difference between a rash and MRSA. Right. Like an allergic rash. Right. But, you know, I just think about that. And um, I pay someone to tell me how to keep my home. And I can't wait to sell it. But imagine that. And then we need to get rid of the government. Across just the, same. the U.S. <laughs> federal government. But the other thing is that the government says, well, look, this is this is what any picket program. I mean, Milton Friedman talks about this is if you pick any government social welfare program, you cannot find a program that the, the government was uh, implemented a program that not only did not solve the problem, but made the problem worse. That's exactly right. And so whether that it's is Medicare, so true. Social Security, Medicaid. 
it, food stamps. It, it enables. Matter. I think it enables um, most families. Um, it either enables you know, it or actually makes the problem worse. It does make the problem worse. Now, it, perfect. Go ahead. Go, no, I was just going to say, um, who was it? Was it Clinton that put um, you know two years? You could be on food stamps for two years. That was that it. was the welfare reform. Of, I think it was nineteen ninety six. Okay, um, so that went away. And now you can just stay on it seems like forever. Well, you know what happened was back, if, for those of you who don't know, back in the 90s, there was Bill Clinton was the president. He was a Democrat. And then in, in 1994, they had what they called the Republican Revolution. For the first time in 40 years, Republicans controlled the House. So Republicans led by Newt Gingrich uh, had what they called a contract for America. And among the things in the contract for America was welfare reform. And so what was included in welfare reform? Well, welfare reform said that you can only be on welfare, quote unquote, whatever they picked, a lot, probably a thousand different welfare programs. Anyway, you can only be on government, federal government assistance for a fixed period of time. And mm-hmm. after that, you had to get a job. Mm-hmm. Well, when that was passed, you can imagine the outcry. So there was people saying, well, you know, old people are going to die in the streets. Children are going to starve to death. Um, this is basically you're, you're killing people. So that, if you Google it, you can find it if there's exists Internet from those days. But people are going to die from this. Well, what happened was after it was implemented, the welfare rolls dramatically decreased, mm-hmm. not because people were dying, but because people then got jobs. People then were like, whoa, I'm going to be cut off in two years. I better work on a plan. Just like your kid. If you have your kids sleeping in your on your couch, let's say your kids, you know, you, you've been telling them, move out, move out, move out, get a job. And you, you, they're just staying on your couch. They're watching TV all day, eating all of your food. And you said, did you get a job yet? No. And then you say, well, in January, you're going to be moved out. Well, I don't have any place to go. Okay. Better start making well, a plan. Well, in January, you're going to be moved out. Well, then they probably move out by January. But if you didn't put that deadline. Anyway, the back, back to the, the point of it is, is that so this was implemented and what was the dire circumstances did not happen. Um, but I think. Now, who took that policy away? It was slowly chipped away over the years. So it's like, um, you know, I think part of the uh, ACA was, I don't know, it's so, so insidious the way they do laws. I mean, laws are, the, the, the Constitution behind me here is, I don't know how many words it is, but you can see it. it's right there, the whole thing. It's mm-hmm. written very small, but that's it. Laws now are thousands and thousands and thousands of pages. So little little nuances of the law were chipped away to the point of where now, there really it doesn't exist the same way it does. It may exist in name where there is actual welfare to work programs, but they may be so loose that the the uh, it's not necessary. But back to the welfare thing, you know, that I wrote a blog post a couple of weeks ago about um, the the war on poverty. So back to the point about good intentions, or good intentions and uh, outcomes. What is more important, a good intention of a program or the outcome? Well, the war on poverty was started in 1964, by, led by LBJ, Lyndon Baines Johnson. Okay, so he said, we're going to have a war on poverty. And so the war on poverty was started. And here we are in 2017, roughly $22 trillion has been spent on the war on poverty. When the war on poverty was initiated, guess what the percentage of people who were, quote unquote, in poverty was? What? I'm sure it was low. 14.5%. Okay. $22 trillion later in 2017, however mm-hmm. many years that is, mm-hmm. how many people, what percentage of people are still in poverty? Yeah, the same. About the same, 14.5%. Mm-hmm. So where did all that money go? 
Yes. Where did the money go? We're paying for congressmen. We're paying for congressmen. We're paying for companies. Mm -hmm. In this article, if you go to AskDrTommy.com and click on blog, you'll see Walmart in, I think it was 2015, said that they receive, an executive for Walmart said that they receive roughly 12% of all food stamps revenue Mm -hmm. of the United States. Of the United States food stamps revenue, 12% of it goes end up at Walmart. Mm-hmm. So that's where your money's going, is yeah. to pay different people for on behalf of these citizens. Mm-hmm. So all that leads us into a, a, one thing about, you know, medical medical care. You know, we run a primary care practice for more or less what we do, sports right. and family medicine, but it's concierge practice. Mm-hmm. So let's just go down the list of how we save money versus if the government were to initiate uh, policies to allow citizens to have access to things. So medications. So how much do our patients pay for, let's say, testosterone compared to what it cost if they bought it through insurance or just walked into a store and bought it? Well, I can actually, we just had a, uh, my brother-in-law, we just dealt with, I just dealt with him on this. He is not a patient here. And he was explaining to me that he, it's about $160 for him. Mm-hmm. Our patients pay $22 plus $10.50 for shipping. And that is for a four month supply. So that's $80. Okay, labs. Oh gosh. Well, you know, a CBC is three dollars, four dollars. Are we you we do an overall physical panel on patients that's about thirty nine dollars. And so a CBC or let's say a lipid panel, I think lipid panel's like eleven dollars. And if you buy it from your insurance company, probably about eighty. Most likely, and that's probably or not low balling it. If that's that's the price you would pay if you didn't have insurance, you went yeah, to and that's low balling it, I think. But okay, so procedures. Uh, if you come in here, what did I do the other day? I did a shoulder injection. Where patients pay a monthly fee. It's included. Mm-hmm. Shoulder injection, if you go to orthopedic doctor's office, is how much? If you pay cash. Oh, that'd be probably $400. Um, you just did sutures also on a patient mm-hmm. um, last week. And I'm sure that would be also a couple hundred. Imaging. Okay, so here's the one. This is a very good one. This one isn't necessarily for our patients, but for anybody. Coronary CT angiogram. So you go to the doctor. You go mm-hmm. to the... Uh, radiology office you have a ct scan of your chest they inject you with dye and then they look at your arteries of your heart Mm -hmm. and determine if you have plaques or not right very elaborate procedure and then a cardiologist reads it in addition to a radiologist reads it right so it's two hundred dollars when you first go to your appointment and then you'll bill be you'll be billed a hundred dollars later by the cardiologist so overall three hundred dollars two hundred up front now if that was mandated by congress to have that done and an insurance company covered it how much do you think it would cost um it is an elaborate test i would say probably between a thousand and fifteen hundred i think it would cost like five thousand dollars. maybe because you maybe. have two doctors reading it including that's- a cardiologist mm-hmm. okay but now here's so that's what you can get free market medicine now here's where we're, here's the next frontier of where free market medicine needs to have ability to uh, make inroads for those of us who prefer for the government not to tell us how much to pay. Specialists. That is difficult. Specialists, by and large, are not part of the free market system. So if you no. want to, if you have cash price and you want to go get a cash price of specialist, you can, you can find them, but you have to have someone help you navigate. Like, you know, we help people find different places. Yes. Like we can help people get into a certain doctor for this amount of money that but you have to call it's not like readily available. it takes an act of god really so that's one specialist so uh insurance obviously is not built for uh 
individual, I guess you call it individual medical care. It's built for national health care. So insurance prices are through the roof. So mm-hmm. you can't buy a policy that is meant for you as an individual. You have to buy a policy that supports all the different essential benefits that the Institute of the Medicine says you have to have. Yes. And Congress then made a law of. Mm-hmm. So Most, ins- uh, yes, insurance right now, on average, it's between four and $500 for a young, healthy individual. When it used to be about 30 for catastrophic insurance. Uh, and then hospitals, that's another one. So hospitals have basically, you cannot go to a hospital and get a cash price that you could pay. They're going to, um, well, they'll, they'll give you a price. And then when you tell them your cash, they're going to give you a discount. And it's a pretty good discount, but it's still going to cost you an arm and leg. But you're not going to be able to afford it. It's going to be very expensive. Unless you have insurance. Yes. So this is all of these things, these specialist insurance and hospitals, those have yet to be influenced by the free market. Right. You they spend, are still operating in the... Right. You could, you, could, you, know, you could afford, I'm sure, um, an ER visit. Um, one, I do know someone that just went to the ER for chest pain. I had some telemetry and some other um, cardiac studies done. And that visit was, that was for an ER visit. And for five to six hours of monitoring, seven thousand dollars. Yeah. So that person had an HSA and um, wiped it clean, which yep. was three thousand dollars. So um, that was for one ER visit. Now, could you imagine if you spent a couple days in the hospital? No. It's you know I Tens don't know of thousands. Yeah, a, a room at the hospital is like five hundred dollars just for one bed. But it didn't used to be that way, and it can return to the days of your if we allow the free market to act. Because what happens is just like anything, if you allow the free market to act, the, the what allows medical care to be so expensive now is the uh, restrictions on freedom of choice. So you don't have different hospitals that are able to. Uh, provide service outside of the system. They basically all have to provide service in the insurance system because mm-hmm. insurance is so dominant mm-hmm. that there, there's, I mean, Surgery Center of Oklahoma, you can go to Surgery Center of Oklahoma and have a knee scope. I don't know what the cost. I think it's around $3,000. Yeah, you can go right online and, and uh, look so up the procedures. Center, okay. Do you know how many patients too? Um, I've you know I, I've been around in the medical field for twenty years, so there's been patient after patient tell me you know they didn't go to the doctor because they couldn't afford it, so they're paying these premiums, mm-hmm. and um, they they don't go to the doctor because they cannot afford it, and that's the one that's the great thing about concierge medicine is you pay your monthly membership and you could come in every day if you wanted to, and you never have to worry about paying additional fees or copay or, you know, co-insurance. Well, and it also helps people who are self-insured. So mm-hmm. let's think about, we have some people in our, well, a lot of people in our practice are self-insured, meaning mm-hmm. they pay their own insurance, right. either through buying insurance policies or they just fund it themselves because mm-hmm. they don't have insurance because they didn't want to pay $800 a month. So let's say one of our members has a hernia mm-hmm. and it is, um, you know, causing a problem, they can't go to work. If they went to Surgery Center of Oklahoma, guess how much it would cost to have an inguinal hernia repaired? I'm talking soup to nuts. The anesthesiologist, the mesh. How much? A couple thousand? Usually includes mess. $3,060. That's it. Mm-hmm. Now, if you went through the local hospital, you may be able to get that price after making about 15 phone calls, mm-hmm. but they're not going to offer you that price right away. No. So that's where the free market really needs to take effect is to allow... Uh, freedom of choice in these three groups here specialists insurance and hospitals medications labs procedures imaging 
a lot of concierge medicine primary care has already eliminated the extra cost to patients for that we need to work on these other three you know there's some doctors out there who probably want to think about doing concierge medicine direct primary care if you are in that business uh, i'm sorry if you're in the the that area where you think you want to uh, one of the first things you have to do is start thinking about what your timeline is and i think if you're six months out the first thing you have to decide is what what do you want the identity of your practice to be mm-hmm. and so for you what's the difference what what do you think is one of the most fir- first things you have to decide where to have it where yes location i and, think is uh, key i think also volume right what what's your volume going to be what um how, how many patients do you expect to have and then ha- so determining how many patients you have is really determining how involved you're going to be well and that is going to determine your overhead how many you know let's say you're going to cap it 300 patients mm-hmm. What, you know, what's your overhead going to be? How much staff are you going to have? The doctor, the nurse, administration, you know, so that's something to consider. And then obviously location is key. Um, well, you have to be in a location where people are interested, in my experience, in investment. Yes, investment in your health. Um, yeah, and you can look at it as an investment in your health. Mm-hmm. But I think if you pick a location where people invest in things, invest in homes, mm-hmm. invest in retirement plans, mm-hmm. You know, those are the types of individuals who then also invest in their health because it's not necessarily an income thing. No, it's you can not. be a millionaire and still not give a damn about your health. All oh, right, we have all walks of life that come here. You yeah. know, patients. So you may be a millionaire. Have different and you, incomes. And not to say people who don't do concierge medicine don't care about their health, but if you do do concierge medicine, you by definition do. Right, and uh, you know how important is your time? Yes. So the first thing you have to decide is, I think, how many members you're going to have and then where in the general vicinity of your city you're going to have it. Mm -hmm. And then based on how many members you have, you can determine how much your annual fee is going to be. Right. And one of the most important things about determining how many members you're going to have is, like I said, is how involved do you want to be? I know there are some doctors out there who do text messaging uh, with their patients and they have 800 patients. I don't think we could do it with the amount of text messaging and stuff we do with our patients. I know we couldn't. Not you and I. No. Um, If there's, I just don't think. Not to say that they're not doing the same thing. I just, I know we couldn't do it. Well, and they might have more staff. You know, we know we're always going to be low volume. Uh, Maybe we'll have a part-time person down the road. But um, I know that we want to keep it. um, We want to know, we want to be able to know all of our patients when they walk in the door. We want to know everything about the patients. Um, You know, the more you grow, the less likely you're going to. I think it'd be difficult to have a real close personal relationship with your patients. Um, I couldn't imagine us having 800 ever. Well, I Unless we had another physician, more staff, you know, but I mean, I don't know if we ever want to do that. It's hard to say because when we first started, we thought we would have, I don't know how many we thought, 600, I think. And then it and went then down we to 300, maybe, and now maybe closer now to like, 200. Now we're like, you know, maybe 200. Yeah. Well, the beauty of it is, though, is you can make it any way you want. Mm-hmm. So if you have 800 patients, you can schedule it to where you can do 800 patients. I don't think we could because... Well, we also want to always um, op- give that option to our patients to have same-day appointment. Yeah. Um, you know, when, uh, whenever possible, or at least the next morning. Yeah. And um, and obviously be able to return phone calls and text messages um, when appropriate, you know, the same day. I think a lot of it, too, is based on your pricing is um, where do you want to position yourself on prices? So some some pri- some practices publish their prices and some practices don't. I think more direct primary care, quote unquote, practices usually publish their prices. Concierge medicine usually don't. I'm pretty sure uh, the majority of all direct care, you, you pretty much yeah. go on any direct care practice on um, their, fa- their 
Their so what's the reason we don't it. publish our prices? Um, we don't think it's important, and, and I know that we. Well, it's from, not, not as important. It's not the most important. Thing. It's not the most important, and also, um, we just speaking from experience. When people call our office, and the first thing they ask is the price, they're not. You know, if that's not their priority, mm-hmm. you know, it just doesn't usually work out. Yeah. If they are more interested in coming in and meeting us, seeing you know what the practice is all about. And then the very last thing they ask is the price. Yeah. You know, I think then then they have other things in mind. Um, you know, their health is a party. I mean, some people just might not be able to afford it. And, they, you know, they obviously like the idea. But think, and I think that's the great thing about direct primary care in concierge medicine is there is a level for everybody. Right. You know, they talk about single payer and single payer is the only way we're going to get everyone to have access to um medical care actually single payer is the way that you're going to get the most people without access to that's medical exactly care. right yeah i think for routine stuff that stuff is life-threatening you probably you'll probably be able to get a yearly physical with single payer absolutely i think mm-hmm. you'll be able to get a yearly physical uh will you be able to get in tomorrow if you have a sore throat probably not no maybe a week will you be because it can't doesn't happen now with insurance practice and this is quote unquote uh you know, private practice or free market. Yeah, you know, that's the other misconception is people say that we have a free market now in the free market field. We have nothing of the sort in medical in medicine. Mm-hmm. We have nothing of the sort of free market. We have a tightly regulated, highly regulated, expensive, quasi private pay uh, medical market, but it's still highly regulated. But anyway, I think if you have single payer, the likelihood of you if you need to have, let's say, a brain MRI, it's going to be very arduous. If one of our patients came in, we had one patient that needed an MRI. Mm-hmm. They went and got an MRI the next week. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think, you know, for all the patients that go into these, let's say you, you find someone who's very poor, very poor. Mm-hmm. Let's say they make, let's just pick the poverty line, whatever that is, $14,000 a year. Mm-hmm. Let's say you go to a direct primary care office, okay? They can go see a direct primary care doctor have uh, $2 a month, maybe medication, have a doctor sit down and talk to him, treat him like a human being mm-hmm. with respect and dignity mm-hmm. for, in many places, $60 a month. Yes, I've seen them for 50 as well. So 60 times 12 is what? So even if they're yeah. in poverty, mm-hmm. I am quite sure that there's $60 that they could scrape together if they need it. They can give up something else. Or here's an even better idea. Okay, let's say you're not for that. No, that's too much. People in poverty shouldn't have to spend their money on their own health care. Well, then the local government can do that if you want the local government to provide the safety net. Why shouldn't the local government provide these people, if that's what you believe, with a direct primary care membership? Why shouldn't every city across the state have a team of direct primary care doctors? Mm -hmm. Not just to care for people who are poor, but that's the point is this idea that you have to have single payer to get everyone medical care is Mm -hmm. a lie. Yes. And that's a lie because it's either people who know better or people don't know any better. Mm-hmm. But the people who don't know any better think that's the only way that it can happen is wrong or wrong. Well, I think, um, you know, direct primary care is it's pretty new and a lot of people don't know about it. Yeah. And the same for concierge medicine. So when a patient does, you know, when it, when a patient feels that, you know, our prices are too much for them, we refer them to direct care. Um, and some of them have never even heard of that. I mean, it's just... A lot of them don't. And I think if you hung out at a... At a at a uh, an office that's overbooked, let's say, and you are a primary direct primary care doctor or a concierge medicine doctor, 
you could you could probably meet a lot of new patients that way because a lot of people don't understand don't like you said don't know about the option to do that mm-hmm. and think about it, and that's a, and that's the key thing is is that the doctor is working directly for them there should be like i said there should be teams not teams but there should be lots and lots of membership medicine doctors in each city yes. from running the gamut from $50 a month to $500 a month. And then you pick what you want. Mm-hmm. If you want to pay 50 or you want to pay 500, it's up mm-hmm. to you. Mm-hmm. It's just like if you want to buy a certain, a certain car, if you want to buy $15,000 car or a $115,000 car, mm-hmm. it's up to you. I but think, everyone should be able to afford mm-hmm. direct primary care. Right. Even um, if the government provides it. Yeah. And, and you know, and a lot of people, I think they don't really sit and think about the fact that, uh, you know, when they go to the doctor, a regular traditional insurance um, place, I don't think that they really take into account that um, they are going to, the doctor's going to charge them whether they have a good visit or not, mm-hmm. whether they have a relationship with this doctor that they enjoy, it doesn't matter. And that this doctor is going to be billing the, and the business is going to be, um, you know, billing the insurance. And a lot of people just, they're just like, this must be the way it is. That's true. That is true. They people uh, they, I meet people all the time who don't know that there's an alternative, and they think that the re- and they actually think that the reason the doctor only spends five minutes with them is because the doctor is just selfish, or or the reason the doctor runs behind is because the doctor is just unorganized. Yeah, and that's the reason the case. for all that is because the doctors are doing things that aren't related to medical right. care. That's right. How many? I mean, even my pediatrician who I really like a lot. You know, when he walks in, he's carrying his laptop in his hand, mm-hmm. and you know, he looks at it and he's you know going through the notes, and you know, we've been going there for many many years, and he knows my children pretty well, but still, he has. They're asking me questions that are, seem ridiculous, mm-hmm. and that's government mandated. The government mm-hmm. mandates they ask those questions. Mm-hmm. And if they don't click off enough check boxes, then they're going to get not paid enough because mm-hmm. they didn't meet criteria for mm-hmm. value-based care mm-hmm. yes. or some other uh, uh, uh How nice would it be for you to go to the doctor and they skip all those questions They and they are just sitting and speaking directly with you? Like we do every day. Yes. I think once patients, if they ever did get, you know, if they could get that, they would love it. Just like our patients love it here. We're not, we don't care, you know, about the things they do at home, you know, or what color they are. Or or who they have sex with, or it's not the standard question is, you know. What language do you speak, or yeah, and there's what color are you? Or, yeah, and there's a new patient history form you fill out. And, so who do you like? That's it. Uh, boys <laughs> or girls? Oh. So disgusting. Yeah, it's so invasive into the doctor-patient relationship has made it to where it's just. I think it's a. It's sad because you know very, how many people say. I mean, I hear I hear people. I see people say things about doctors all the time. How they hate them. They have, say. You know, they use profanity towards them and, um, uh, you know, and then it's just because of what they've been dealing with year, you know, all the time, the, mm-hmm. the long wait in the waiting room, the person at the check-in who doesn't even know their name and they've been coming there for 10 years. Yeah. Sometimes a doctor who doesn't know the patient's name and, you know, it's. Well, if you really want to learn more about what we talk about, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there, but I made it kind of easy. If you go to askdrtommy.com, there's a few jumping off points. If you're a patient, click on patients help you understand what we do here different opportunities for insurance outside of ACA and then if you're a doctor and you're interested in learning more click on physicians it's just something you should expose yourself to but the take-home message is the government is not smart overall they do not have your interest at hand and you can do better as your individual choosing your own medical care and your 
local representative should should recognize that. So today, uh, apparently, Fats Domino passed away. Fats Domino was a um, he was a uh, I'm just going to read the thing from USA Today. Fats Domino, who shaped the infancy of rock and roll with songs like Blueberry Hill, The Fat Man, Ain't That a Shame, and I'm Walking, has died at age 89. New York, New Orleans. Uh, WWL TV and Associated Press report and we're going to play a song from Fats Domino called uh, I think we're going to play Ain't That a Shame and uh, for those of you who are new to the program if you want to learn more about Ask Dr. Tommy show go to AskDrTommy.com and if you are not um, familiar with what we do uh, listen to our old podcasts and then you can also listen to us on iTunes and subscribe on iTunes and subscribe on YouTube in a variety of other ways and this is uh, coming up after the end. Oh, I'll just wait. I had it loaded up and then I forgot. Also, if you're listening on iTunes, you're not going to be able to hear this because we um, can't play it on iTunes. But this is this is Blueberry Hill. Till next time, bye-bye.